I have some good news to share with you. You and I are uplifted today because Christ was lifted higher. You and I are uplifted today because Christ was lifted higher. On Good Friday, we learned that Jesus kept walking all the way to the cross. And because of that, we take up our cross and we keep walking following him. On Easter Sunday, because Christ is risen, we can go out of the tomb of our own brokenness and our sin and our failures because we have been risen with him. And today we want to talk about the ascension of Jesus Christ and the difference that that makes in our lives. We are uplifted because he was lifted higher. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the passage that John read for us. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the racks that are back there. And um, please take your, your notes and your bulletin so that can, that can help you. I want to walk through with you what happened in the ascension of Christ and what led up to it. Luke, the beloved friend and physician of the Apostle Paul, companion with him in his travels, wrote the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Both of them to a man named Theophilus, probably a Roman official. And in this particular uh, passage now, he begins to address that. He said, I, I have dealt with all that Jesus began, I love that word, to do and to teach. That's the Gospel of Luke. And it, the implication is, now I'm going to tell you what Jesus continues to do and teach in his spiritual body, the church, until the day when he was taken up. So there's a reference right there to the ascension of Christ. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned multiple times in this narrative, Luke is drawing our attention to the promise of Jesus that the Spirit would come. He had given these commandments to the apostles that he had chosen, and he presented himself alive through many different proofs. Think about those proofs, the empty tomb, the grave clothes. Think about his appearances to 500 people at once to others like Peter, to all the disciples where Jesus, according to Luke's gospel, shows up in the upper room and says, give me some bread and some fish to eat so you know this is not a ghost, this is a real physical body. And in John's gospel, he shows up and he says to Thomas, reach your finger and put it into the nail print of my hand, reach your hand, thrust it into my side, I want you to know this is real. Many different proofs Jesus showed his resurrection. He wanted us to know that he had risen. We're told he spoke of things about the kingdom of God. That's a great emphasis. In verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but say, wait for the promise. See, Jesus had in the upper room in John 14 to 16 told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come in a unique and new ministry in the church. And he said, wait for that. He refers to the words of John the Baptist who said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming greater than me who's going to baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire, fire speaking of the coming judgment. So Jesus refers to that. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom? Again, the theme of kingdom here. Are you going to set up your kingdom? Because all of the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming reign of Jesus Christ. And now they're asking, Jesus, you are a king. The wise men showed up and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? 
Are you going to at this time set your kingdom? And Jesus responds saying, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set in his own authority and power. Jesus is not saying the kingdom's not coming. He's just saying you're not going to know the time and the date. So my friends, if anybody tells you when Jesus is coming back, know that they're giving false teaching at that moment according to the authority of Jesus Christ right here. He said, but listen, the, the agenda now is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. A third reference to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be witnesses. You're going to bear testimony about my, my person, my death, my resurrection, starting right here at Jerusalem, the, the area around you, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's the agenda of this day. That's what I want you to focus on. And when he said these things, well, they were looking up. Jesus was lifted up out of their sight. They are on the Mount of Olives, according to what Luke had said at the end of his gospel, where he also talks about the ascension there. That Jesus was lifted up. There was a cloud, probably the cloud like the cloud that led Israel in the wilderness, the, the glory of God showing up. And, and, and as they're standing there with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, he literally is elevated, lifted up until he's out of sight. And, and the disciples are still standing there looking up, so would you and I. I mean, Jesus has just been removed from earth. What happened in the incarnation when he became a man, was born in, 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 a, in a manger, this is the bookend of this part of his life and ministry where he goes back to heaven as the God-man, and he's carried up to heaven. And the disciples are still, can you see him? And two angels standing there say, why you stand looking up in heaven, this same Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven, he's coming back again. Listen, my friends, we can be just as sure that Jesus is going to return to this planet because of his ascension. And it changed everything for them. It changed everything. Today, we celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ. It is a part of our faith. You are uplifted because he was lifted high. R.C. Sproul said this, I am convinced that the most neglected dimension of the life of Jesus in the church today is his ascension, and it shouldn't be. You need to understand the ascension is not just a historical fact, not just a doctrinal reality. It makes a difference in your life every day. It makes a difference because of who Jesus is as he's lifted up. It makes a difference because of what it does in your life as he is uplifted. Think about this. The Father said that Jesus was going to be exalted. It's a part of God's exaltation. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that after his death, Jesus was exalted by the Father and given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love the words of, of Peter as he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 3 and verse 22, that, that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God where angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. And Colossians 1.18 says that because of his, his ascension, that he is preeminent. He's first place. I want to tell you the ascension means God is in the process of exalting his son, starting with the resurrection, the ascension, what's called his session in heaven where he is 
continue, he's ministering and being worshipped, his second coming, his kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, God the Father is exalting his son, and the ascension was a very important part of that. But it's also very important to you and to me, because we are uplifted because Christ was lifted higher. There's a small city in southwest Pennsylvania called um, Jonestown. And Jonestown is historically known because of three tragic floods that hit that city. It is located in the Allegheny Mountains and a very narrow valley. And in um, May 13, 1889, the South Fork Dam gave way. And the damage in that day's economy in 1889, $17 million, and 2,209 people lost their lives in that flood. A second flood happened in 1936, an unusual melt-off of snow coming with just a torrent of rains. The floods rose to 14 feet, and 24 people died. 77 buildings were destroyed, and 3,000 more were damaged, and the property damage was $41 million in that city. In 1977, seven inches of rain fell in 10 hours. And, and, the, and the, the water was coming down so hard that streams coming down the mountains actually began to chart new channels down the mountain because the, the stream beds couldn't even handle it. And um, several dams burst. The death toll was 85, and there was $300 million in damage. Matter of fact, after that flood, the, the, the population of Jonestown decreased because people just moved away over nearly 20%. of People just saying, we can't, we can't live with this danger anymore. Some of us have floods in our lives. Some of you are facing floods with um, family issues right now, with children, marriage. Some of you are facing the rising tide of physical difficulties that there's no real quick solution or answer to, and the tide is rising for you. Some of you are being swept in the current of stress because of issues related to your job or unemployment or other kind of pressures that you're facing. Some of you have, have been washed with grief and the loss of somebody that you deeply, deeply love. Some of you are facing the damaging work of temptation in your life. And some of us are just going through times where we're just overwhelmed with life. Uh, what, I don't know about you today, but I know this, that there are people in our church right now that are going through floods. And you may be among them or you may love someone that is. I want to tell you that the ascension of Jesus makes a difference. We can be uplifted because he is lifted higher, friends. If you're in a flood and you get up on the roof of your house because your house is totally being covered with water, and a helicopter comes along, even though you may not like helicopter rides, I guarantee you'll get in it. And you will be uplifted because a helicopter is lifted higher. Christ's ascension makes a difference in our lives. The reason it does, because of what it tells about who he is and what he does in our lives. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. Christ was lifted higher as king, so we are uplifted in our submission to him. Jesus 
talked to his disciples, we're told in Acts chapter 1 here, about the kingdom, verse 3. They asked the question about, will you restore your kingdom? In the very last verse in the book of Acts, Paul, in his own rented house in Rome, is talking about the kingdom. Jesus Christ ascended as an exalted king. Pastor Joel challenged us during the previous series of messages about the tongue that though Christ is our helper, he's also our king. Matthew tells us that Jesus is a king. He was crucified with a crown of thorns with a sign over his head saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He said in the end of Matthew, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. My friends, listen. Jesus being king makes a difference in your flood because he's sovereign and in control. And though you may not understand everything he's doing and why he's letting things in your life, I guarantee you he is very much in control. He is king. And it's when we submit to him and his rule that we find peace. Have you discovered that? You know, we like to have on Christmas cards and, and to quote Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and in verse, that, that seventh verse, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there's no end. Of the increase of his government and peace. What that's saying is wherever Jesus rules, there's peace. I've discovered in my own life that wherever Christ isn't ruling in my personal life, it could be my finances, it could be my thought life, it could be anything, wherever Christ isn't ruling, there's not peace. Because peace is the flag that flies in the citadel of the heart when Jesus is king. Christ is lifted up as king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back as king upon a white horse. He's going to set up his, his millennial kingdom. He's going to set up his future kingdom. And right now, Jesus is king, king of kings and lord of lords. And he wants to rule your life and my life. And that's what brings us peace in the midst of a horrible flood. He's also lifted higher as conqueror so we can be uplifted in victory. Christ is lifted higher as conqueror so we can be uplifted in victory. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uh, gives us a beautiful picture of the church as the body of Christ and talks about how the body functions and how each one of us have a gift and the role of pastors and teachers and all that we're to do. But before he does that, he talks about the ascension of Christ. In Ephesians 4 verses 8 and 9, he said, Christ ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That's Ephesians 4, 8 to 9, one of the references that you have there. The picture that is used here is of a conquering king who's coming back to the city where he has his capital, and he is in his dress armor, and all of his soldiers are all in their dress armor, and he is giving gifts, the spoils of battle, to the citizens that line the way, and the captives are chained. The picture that is given in Ephesians 4, 7, and 8 of Christ's ascension is that he went back to heaven as a conqueror. You see, to the world, when Jesus was crucified, it seems like he was defeated. No. Jesus defeated sin and Satan on the cross. Jesus, in his resurrection, was a conqueror. Jesus went to back, back to heaven as a victor. And because of that, we have victory in him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, we are led in a captive, we are led in a, as conquerors in Christ. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. My friend, you can't defeat sin. You can't defeat Satan. You can't defeat this world. You can't defeat the flesh, but Jesus already has. 
and I've read the end of the Bible and Jesus wins. And because he does, we do too. So as you're fighting, facing a battle with temptation, don't fight from your attempts to try to be victorious. Fight from the fact that Christ has already been victorious. You can be victorious because Christ has already conquered sin, Satan, death, this world. He has already defeated it. We can be victorious in him through faith. You can be uplifted from the flood of, uh, that you're experiencing because Christ has triumphed. Christ was lifted higher in sending the Spirit so we can be uplifted in power. You notice how many times in this first chapter he mentions the Holy Spirit. He's, he ministered to them and gave commands through the Spirit. He told them they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He promised them the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in a unique ministry to the church in this age. And on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts, as they're gathered in the upper room praying... The Holy Spirit came as a mighty wind, flames of tongues on their head, and all of a sudden they had a, a supernatural power to be able to live and minister in Jesus' name. I'm fascinated that the Lord Jesus, in the upper room before he went out to Gethsemane and ultimately to his cross, gathered his disciples there, and in John chapter 14 through 16, he gave them some very clear instructions to say, here's how you live the Christian life after I'm gone. I want to tell you, if you've not read it recently, John 14, 15, and 16 are some of the most encouraging, helpful passages in the Christian life. Jesus talking to the disciples, and he's saying, here's what I want you to know about how to live after I go back to heaven. And one of the things he talked about repeatedly in every one of those chapters, 14, 15, and 16 of John, is the Holy Spirit. And among the things he said in chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says this startling statement. It's to your advantage that I go away because I will send the helper. Now, if you're one of the disciples in the upper room that night, you're not thinking it's to your advantage that Jesus goes away. You're saying, no, we like having you right here. You're teaching your presence, your guidance, your, your mentoring of us. But Jesus says, no, it is to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Why? Jesus in his earthly presence and his, in his, as a God-man could only be, though as God he was omnipresent, as man he could be one place at a time, right? And yet, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells every believer, now the Spirit of God is present on every continent, in every land, doing a work for God, even in Brazil today in the, in the ministry that you're having. The Holy Spirit is doing that. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because he's going to empower you. My friends, when you're facing a flood, know this, that the ascended Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to help you. You are not alone. Friend, if I, if I came down Baldwin and I saw you pushing your car, I would pull over and put my four ways on, and I would walk up to you and say, are you out of gas? And if you said, no. I would then ask, do you have a flat tire? And if you said, no. Is your car broke? No. I just push my car to work every day, and I push it back home. I would really wonder about you, right? <laughs> you say, that's funny. Hey, listen, that's not more foolish than us trying to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh wasn't designed to be that way. A car was designed, turn the key and drive it. The Christian life was designed to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to rediscover what that means. 
We need to rediscover what it means because the ascended Christ uplifts you through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling you to do what you could never do. The Holy Spirit is in you to control you, to fill you, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to teach you, to help you in prayer, to help you overcome temptation, to give you the ability to serve and minister. The Holy Spirit is in you to do that. My friends, listen, don't try to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. You will either fail miserably or succeed more miserably because you'll be proud, prideful. Learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Christ was lifted also higher as the head of the church, so we are uplifted in his body. And in Acts chapter 2, you have the church born, and at the end of Acts chapter 2, you have the description of this very first local church. And I can't read that passage without getting excited because when the church is being the church, there's nothing on this planet like it. There is no corporation, there is no entity, no government in this world that can compare with the church of Jesus Christ when it's being the church. And Christ is the head of the church. Now, in preaching, I I say that you have one legal flip of pages, okay? So I'm going to ask you to flip your pages with me to Ephesians chapter 1. you got to see this. Ephesians chapter 1, the end of the chapter. Paul is... um, praying at the end of verse 18 of Ephesians 1, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the, the working of his great might which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's his resurrection. And next comes his ascension, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's what we're talking about. And and look how it describes Christ's position now because of his ascension. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the now age, but also in the future, in the one to come. And he has put above all things under his feet and given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ ascended back to heaven as the head of the church. Think about this metaphor of the church as the body and Christ being the head. What does your head do for your body? I mean, just, just physiologically, what does it do? What's, what's in your head? You got your brain, right? Control center of your central nervous system. You have a bunch of of things in your brain that actually controls things that you're not in control of that are happening in your body all the time. Do you realize all of your senses are located in your head except for touch, which is elsewhere in your body too? Do you know your, your head also is a center of your balance of your body? So when it says that Jesus is the head of the church, it's saying he is functioning and leading his church. Some churches function like the headless horseman. Some churches act as if Jesus is the figurehead like the Queen of England. Like Jesus is an absentee head. He is not, my friends. Jesus Christ is the functioning head of the church. How does that work? That's why prayer and the Word of God are so absolutely essential. Because in prayer, we communicate with the head, and in the Word of God, the head communicates with us. And that the church functions in unity when everybody is submitted to the head. My friend, the church is not about you getting your will done in the church. It's about Christ getting his will done in the church. The head of the church isn't the pastoral team or the elders. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And we declare that, that Christ is the head of this church. And we want to submit to him 
Because it's only then that the church becomes all that God wants it to be. He is our head. Thomas Jefferson, one of our presidents, uh, author of the Declaration of Independence, co-author of the Constitution, um, great mind, uh, had a lot of different hobbies and interests that he had in sciences and botany. He also liked building buildings. If you ever go to Monticello, his home, it's a fascinating piece of construction. But he also was responsible for designing the initial buildings at the University of Virginia. And while that was being built, he would be on Monticello, and he literally had a telescope. And he would watch the builders from the telescope as they were constructing the serpentine wall and some of the buildings there. And if he didn't like what was going on, he would send a horseman down the valley, down there to be able to say, I want you to change this. Listen, Jesus Christ doesn't need to send a horseman and a messenger because he's the head of the church all the time and he is building his church and he's doing that through us. And no matter today where the church is persecuted, experiencing difficulty because of false doctrine, experiencing disunity or compromise with sin, Jesus Christ will enter in. Pastor Joel's going to be starting a series of messages. Next week, we're going to be celebrating the, uh, the burning of our mortgage in both services. Not the real mortgage, but a copy of our mortgage, okay? Because God has provided us paid off. And we're going to celebrate that next Sunday. But after that, Pastor Joel's starting a series of messages called Conquer, Revelation 1 to 3. And Christ there as the conqueror, Christ as the head of the church, speaks to his churches and says, here's what I want. Here's what I want. Listen. The Church of Jesus Christ in North Korea and Iran, Iraq, in, in places in Eastern Europe where there's persecution going on, Jesus Christ is still the head of the church. He's still building his church. And there's nothing on this planet like the Church of Jesus Christ. Nothing like it when it's being the church. Christ is also lifted higher as our high priest so that we can be uplifted in prayer. If you fast forward in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 7, there comes a scene where Stephen, one of the early deacons, is brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, because of his statement about Christ's resurrection, and they're questioning him, and Stephen has no time to prepare a sermon, but he stands up and he preaches this incredible, Christ-centered, biblical message in the power of the Holy Spirit, and as he preaches, he goes through a whole survey of the Old Testament that's all centered on Christ. It's an incredible message with no time to prepare. So full of the Scripture and the Spirit was he. The response to his message was they were, took him out to stone him. If I was to choose a way to die, death by stoning would not be my first choice. It means that they take and they throw rocks at you until, by mercy, you're maybe knocked unconscious. It's just a horrible way to die. And as he is dying, he, like Christ on the cross, says, lay not this sin to their charge. Forgive them. And then Stephen says this. I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne on high. Standing on the right hand of the throne on high. The Bible tells us repeatedly that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne on high because his work of redemption, of salvation, was finished. 
There was no place for the high priest to sit in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. Their work was never finished. But Jesus went to heaven and sat down. The work was finished. But now Stephen says, I see him standing. Why? Because that's his unfinished work as our great high priest. The Bible says repeatedly in the book of Hebrews that Christ is the one and only high priest now that offered that great sacrifice for our sins, but now ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25. So that when we pray, we come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My friend, I want you to know something. Jesus is praying for you right now in heaven. When you're in the midst of your flood, when you're going through that difficulty, you can be lifted Uplifted because Christ is lifted higher as your high priest. By the way, if you want to know what Jesus prays about, read John chapter 17 because that's his high priestly prayer. And I'm pretty sure he's praying some of those same things for us today. And in that chapter, Jesus prayed for you when he was on his way to go out to the cross. Have you ever thought about this? Listen to the words of Jesus as he's praying to the Father before he goes out to Gethsemane. He said, Father, I pray not for them alone but for those who will believe on me through their word. And the omniscient Christ knew every person who would ever trust him as personal savior, and he prayed for you as he went to the cross. He's praying for you now. Listen, if I say to you, I'm praying for you, I hope that'd be encouraging to you. When others say to me they're praying for me, it means a great deal, but I want to tell you, when I know that Jesus is praying for me, that uplifts me. That uplifts me because I have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for me. And I tell you what, I can face anything knowing that I have a Savior who will never stop praying for me. And finally, Christ was lifted higher as bridegroom, so we are uplifted in hope. Also in the upper room, Jesus said these words. Looking into the hearts of his disciples who he had just told that he was going away, and they were grieving, already mourning his loss. Jesus, not thinking about what he was going to suffer in his trial, in his uh, beating, in his crucifixion, and becoming sin for us and enduring the wrath of God, Jesus, putting that all aside, cared about his disciples in the upper room. And he spoke these words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That's his ascension. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What you may not understand is that Jesus was using metaphorical language in that promise. It is the expression of a bridegroom speaking to his bride. You see, in a Jewish wedding in the ancient world, the bride never knew the day of her wedding. There's some couples in our church getting ready to get married this summer. And I want to tell you that there's a lot of preparation and planning, the flowers, the dress, you know, who's going to do the photography and all of those things that go on. A Jewish bride never knew the day of her wedding. The groom, they would have a betrothal ceremony where not only the, two, the couple would be legally bound to get married, but they would also, the families would be bound together in that commitment. The, the groom would go to his father's house and prepare either on the property or even in the father's uh, a larger home a, an apartment for the young couple, and he would be working on that. And the bride never knew what day her wedding was going to be. Think about that, ladies. Until sometimes it would be at night, 
and to be a torchlight parade, the groom would gather his groomsmen and his family, and they would go down the street of the city, and people would call ahead and say, Behold, the bridegroom's coming! And she had to get ready, quick. It was the day of her wedding. Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom of my bride, the church, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Of a place that's called heaven, friends. The temporary dwelling that we're going to have there until we come back with Christ in the kingdom and enjoy being back here on earth in the new heaven and the new earth. Heaven. Heaven. A real place. Christ has a prepared people for a prepared place. He's prepared a place for you and for me. And if you have loved ones in Jesus that have already died, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, it was 17 years before that my dad died. And I was celebrating the resurrection of Christ, remembering. I know where my dad is because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has prepared a place we can have a hope. My friends, if you're grieving today, you can be lifted up. You can be uplifted because Christ was lifted higher. So let me ask you today, are you being uplifted because Christ was lifted higher? Are you experiencing his victory because he is a conqueror? Are you submitting to his authority because he is your king? Are you functioning in his body because he is your head? Are you depending on his spirit because he sent his spirit to you? Are you being uplifted knowing that he's praying for you and that you can access prayer because of him? And are you living a life filled with hope because your bridegroom is coming back and he's saying, you're coming to be with me. I've got a place ready for you. See, the best is always yet to be. You will face floods, but our God's the one that parted the Red Sea. Our God is the one who said, I will not let the waters overflow you. Because Jesus has been lifted higher. You and I can be uplifted in him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would both comfort and challenge us with the reality that Christ, the one who is the ascended Son of God, is our King. Oh God, may we purpose in our whole lives not to be the ultimate authority in our own lives, but to submit and surrender to the reign of Christ so that we might have your peace. God, when we face the flood of temptation and struggles in our life, may we believe that Jesus Christ is the conqueror and that we can be led in victory in him. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to your church in a unique and special ministry, baptizing and dwelling so that we can be filled and walk by the Spirit and we can be empowered by the Spirit for life and ministry. God, grant that we might be uplifted by depending on the Spirit. Lord, may we live in constant communication with Christ, the head of the church, through prayer and through the Word, so that we can be functioning members of the body. Lord, you are our great high priest. You bear our burdens on your shoulders. You bear our concerns on your heart. 
And Lord, I pray that every struggling believer here today would know that you love them and are praying for them today and that we can access your presence in prayer because of our great high priest. Lord, may we find comfort and hope in knowing that Christ, our bridegroom, promised us a home in heaven. And in that wonderful promise, said that he was going to come again and receive us to be with him. And we declare that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by you. May we find comfort even in grief. So whatever flood we're facing, thank you that we can be uplifted because Christ was lifted higher. For it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.